At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. So why do you want to learn a new language? I'll tell you why. Because donde esta el baño can be a very important question at times. You know, Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. Fast track your language acquisition with immersive lessons designed to teach you to pick up languages in a natural way. I love the fact that I can go from my laptop to my phone to pretty much anywhere and learn the language of my choice. Not to mention, I'm bringing my communication skills to new heights. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a limited time, Star Talk Radio listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash StarTalk. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash StarTalk today. Welcome to Star Talk, your place in the universe where science and pop culture collide. Star Talk begins right now. This is Star Talk. I'm Neil deGrasse Tyson, your personal astrophysicist. I work at the American Museum of Natural History in New York City, where I serve as director of the Hayden Planetarium there. And I got with me in studio as my co-host, Chuck Nice. Hey, Neil. Chuck. Good to see you. Good having you. Always. Oh, you know it, man. You, you rock the house, you oh. know? You got a whole, the whole, you have a whole fan community of people who like hearing you just on Star Talk. That is true. And I, and I love those people. That means I don't like you anywhere else. That's right. <laughs> That's what that means. Yes. <laughs> and most of them are my family, but hey, what can we say? Uh, so today, we're going to talk about Cosmos, the show. What? I know. Awesome. I know. Finally, it's going to happen here on Star Talk. I'm a little uncomfortable because, like, I'm in it. Yes. You know, well, but you are Cosmos. No, no, I'm in Cosmos. All right. So, what I figured, what we should do. So, it's not going to be about me as host. Let's find out how Cosmos got made. Which, by the way, you as host, got to say, okay, don't take this the wrong way. I was a little surprised, man. You do a great job. <laughs> you were surprised I did a good job. Okay. No, you really do a good job. I'll take that in the schoolyard after. Okay. We'll pick that up. No, it's a great uh, show. So I thought one way to get some insight into this is to bring into studio one of the co-writers of Cosmos, Sweet. a friend and colleague, Dr. Steve Soder. Steve. Hi, Neil. Welcome to, welcome to Star Talk. Thank you. It's good to be here. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. And so he's not just any writer, by the way. First of all, he co-wrote the first two space shows in the reopening of the new Rose Center for Earth and Space back in 2000, where the Hayden Planetarium is. So you not only did that, all right, now you, you keep part in the curtains and you go back and then you find out that 
he was one of the co-writers of the original Cosmos. Whoa. Whoa. Steve, that is highly impressive, my friend. Well, are we here just you to cannot impress- nod, though, Steve. Well, well, this is radio. <laughs> <laughs> I know you're being humble. I was like, that's highly impressive. He's like nodding his head like, yes, Chuck. Yes, it was. Yeah, but as a matter of fact, right? <laughs> okay, Chuck can, can vo- vocalize your miming, I guess, <laughs> right. if what it is. Uh, so so he's, got, he's, he's genetically linked to the beginning. And uh, the three original writers were Carl Sagan himself, of right. course, and uh, Andrian and, and Steve Soder. And, wow. and, and I think... Think we can get Andrian at a, on another show, wow. and so we get the two co-writers to talk about just the genesis of, of Cosmos. That is fascinating, man. I, I mean, I'm, literally, it's, it's so cool to have. And I, please don't take this the wrong way, but you're like living history, man. You know, don't please don't take it like he's I'm, the thousand year old man. <laughs> yeah, so <okay. laughs> See, I know it will come out wrong. I know it will come out wrong. <laughs> Anytime someone says "Don't take this the wrong way," they're going to take it the wrong way. <laughs> All right. They're going to take it the right way, which is the wrong way. All right. So, uh, so Steve, I'm going to start off, Steve. Steve, um, you're a colleague of mine. You're a trained scientist. I happen to know that your PhD thesis involved planet orbits and stabilities and this sort of thing, if I remember correctly. You're, you're a solar system type guy. Right. And that's fine. It's not, you can stretch out into the rest of the universe because you're, you're, an, you're a scientist. But one of the things that distinguishes Cosmos is how often it references history. And every time I talk to you about some historical thing that happened, oh yes, that was the Count and the Duke of Earl of this, and he had a budget that he made a telescope that had this lens configuration. I said, where are you getting this? <laughs> so what is what accounts for this whole background in history that you have? I've just been reading history of science uh, forever, and I love the stuff. Okay, so Chuck, translation is, he doesn't own a television. <laughs> <laughs> Steve, do, wait, I got, just to put this on the table. Do you own a television? Uh, no. Right, right. See? Wow. So when you're not watching TV, you're reading. There you go, kids. There's, kids. There you go, kids. There's there's your key. There's your key to success in life. Academic success. Throw your television out. Uh, th- uh, down the stairs. Right. So you just read, but you could be reading you could be reading anything. Yeah, but history of science is one of my favorites. These are wonderful stories. And also it's a way to look back and see when these discoveries were made, what people didn't know, and to think and what they thought they knew. And what they thought they knew, and to realize that we're in the same position. We modern people. Yes. So you, are you saying psychologically uh, we respond to science the same way as people did in 1400? Well, I'm saying that they didn't know a lot, and they thought that they knew certain things. Right. We're in the same position. Same thing. So the yeah. more we know, the more we know we don't know. Yes. Gotcha. Wait, wait, but wait, wait. Just wait. Just... just, just, just. <laughs> <laughs> Science does progress, all right? So okay. so we know stuff today that we didn't know in 1400. Gotcha. But we now know enough to know more stuff that we don't know that we, we wouldn't even have known to ask in 1400. Is that fair, Steve? Yes, but also reading what was happening back then, knowing what we know now, puts a whole different light on it. Okay, so what you're saying is it makes you a little more humble in modern times yes. about how seriously you will treat somebody's idea. Yes, and also we realize that a lot of what we think we know now is certainly wrong. But gotcha. we don't know which parts are wrong. <laughs> 
Steve, that's not very encouraging. You, you make a, you make this profound declaratory statement. There are things that we think are true today that will surely be wrong. But that's what? what the history of science tells us. And I can't tell you what those things are. We're going to have to find out, but we have a method to do it. It's an error correcting method of investigation by, by interrogating nature itself. And it works very well. It's gotten us this far. It's gotten us where we can be using these electrons to send this conversation at the speed of light to a large audience. These electrons, he's like he's buds right. with, with the electricity. Right? Right. These electrons, you got your electrons, I got, I got mine. mine. Right. <laughs> so I, I want, so, all right, so not only is the facts of history, but there's the psychology of what's going on in the surrounding towns, the politics, the scientists themselves. And you dug all this up with Anne and made storytelling out of it. Yes. No, that, that's awesome because I knew some of the stories because I do a little bit of reading of history myself, but not nothing like the depths that you guys went into. And so there I am as I tell these stories. Right. People say, oh, look at that Tyson. What a historian. No. Right. It should be. I should carry the credits with me as I'm reading it. Yeah. You know, as, as I'm telling it. But no, these are great. Uh, so it's not just the facts of the history. It's the culture of the history. Yes. And that's, so that works. So you know what I wonder, Steve, when we come back from the break, I'm going to ask you, is there some story going on now, which you think in a hundred years would make a good story in the cosmos of the year 2100? When, yeah. Yeah. Look at that. Yeah. Look, uh, look they, at Steve. His wheels are, I see, he is he is turning away right now. That's a good question. He doesn't just use wheels. He uses gears. Okay. <laughs> wheels, that's, that's, old, that's, that's old, old school. That's old school. Yeah. You turn a wheel into a machine, you get a gear. You get gears. All right. right. You got that? I see, I see the gears and cogs at work there. <laughs> there you go. When we come back, more Star Talk Radio. Topic today the making of cosmos. Back on Star Talk Radio, I'm your personal astrophysicist Neil deGrasse Tyson. And do I have a personal comedian? If it would be yes, you, you do. It, it's uh, your your personal com stand-up comic, Chuck Nice. Chuck Nice. There yes. you go. There you go. We've got in studio a friend and colleague, Stephen Soder, who's an astrophysicist who co-wrote Cosmos. Awesome. And you might say, which Cosmos? The original or this one? Ask me that. Uh, which one? The original or this one? Both. <laughs> <laughs> My mind is blown. Did you hear that small explosion? <laughs> so, so Steve, um, could you tell me the? I mean, I've I've written. I I know how to write. I mean, we're all literate folks in this room. Uh, but I would have never felt comfortable writing for television. What is the? What's different here? Well, you have to write to. A, it's a visual medium. You have to see what you're writing to, and you have to compress it enormously because there's not a whole lot of time to be expansive as you are on the written page of literature. So on a written page, words can go wherever you want and you can be all flowery. Right. But here you're constrained by the medium. Now, how do you do that without sacrificing the information yeah. that you're disseminating? It's hard work to distill it to get the essentials. If you say so yourself. <laughs> so, wait, so if you, so part of your challenge is, but you have to know how effective the visual medium is as its own conveyor. You have to be able to imagine what you're going to be seeing that will accompany what you're writing. Ah. And so the, you, this went through your head when you co-wrote our first two space shows in the new planetarium, presumably? Yes. I mean, I was imagining what these scenes would look like. And in some cases, they actually turned out to look much better than I imagined. 
Oh, that's okay. That's good. That means you don't have a good imagination. Is that <laughs> <laughs> it means there were some very clever people on the on the visual end. Right. It's part of the collaboration of making making this stuff work. Right. I mean, I one of my for me, you know, I don't. I'm an interloper in the TV world. Really, I'm, I'd rather just stay in my lab. And you see me on TV. But when I'm there getting filmed, I see the hundred people making the product. You know, the producers, the gaffers, the lighting people, the directors, the associate, the assistant director, the, right. the you know, the hair, makeup. Don't forget craft services. Craft services. Very, very important. <laughs> very important. I got all trim and slim for the series. After the series, I was 20 pounds. <laughs> They're feeding you all, all the, the time. All the time. All, all the time. Now, Steve, this, as you know, this show aired on Fox. You can't get more mainstream than Fox. This is not PBS. This is not the Science Channel in the in the extra package for vid, for 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 cable. This is mainstream primetime. So at some point, one would have an expectation that you are plugged into pop culture if you're communicating with pop culture. So how would you rate your pop culture index? About zero. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you're not Kardashian influenced. No, no, it stops for about 1940. I'm interested in pop culture before about that period, but not much afterwards. Wow. wow. Okay. Okay. So, so that means the conversations you and I have about pop culture—that's your only lifeline. That's right. <laughs> okay. I didn't know I was that important to you. Um, okay. So, uh, in terms of but language, and I mean, you're an astute listener and observer of current events and things. Oh, right? yeah. I'm, I, I keep up with the news. So then how do you, uh, in turn, take that and present something like Cosmos? My Here's the thing that's great about it, writing-wise. Uh, I love it, and I'm a person who's uh, loves science and is curious about science and wants to learn. My eight-year-old son watches it with me. He loves it. So now, how is it that you're able to talk to two disparate audiences who are, I was going Did to you say- you say desperate or disparate? Uh, disparate. Disparate, okay. <laughs> uh, but two disparate audiences, uh, I said it again, I'm just... disparate audiences who are, hopefully, one is intellectually more advanced than the other. <laughs> Well, we we did that in the planetarium shows. Our audience is everyone from children to PhD scientists, and we had to find a way to to provide something that everyone would uh, would like. And it's hard work. All I can tell you is it's hard work. Yeah, but yeah, but I, sure, but to do it in a way that the people who are in the know don't feel like they're wasting their time or that you're talking down to them. And obviously, the young kids are not going to get everything, right? But there's there's some. Well, I've had a lot of experience talking to people. Uh, throughout my career, I don't, okay. uh, people of all ages, and learning uh, how what they what they respond to, what what uh, what they understand, and and what would be over their heads. Okay, so this th so things that cannot be over people's heads, but you can still appreciate on different yeah. levels. Yeah. And the challenge is really to try to still get to the heart of the subject, to not over to to not uh, oversimplify it, to connect with 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 uh, the the real depths of the subject, but convey that in a way that people can understand. Okay, I think that's the ticket right there. Because if you keep if you stay true to the theme, true to the idea, then the idea comes through no matter how you shape it. Right. right. That, that makes sense, yeah. So you're not really allowing the audience to drive what you're writing. You're allowing the subject to be the key, the key focus, and then saying, okay, now how do I make that work for this person, that person? Exactly. Yeah. Now, now this the Cosmos is in the great tradition of Carl Sagan. Obviously, he was the host of the original. And so awesome shoes to fill if I serve as host. 
in, as serving as host. But uh, Carl Sagan had a way with words and a way of, he had a bed, bedside manner. And so we all know Carl's influence on us, but what was your Im- influence on Carl Sagan back then if you were co-writer of the original Cosmos? Well, I came up with some of the ideas that got into the original Cosmos. Mm-hmm. I began actually as a researcher and uh, and discussing ideas. Uh, he liked them and said, why don't you be a co-writer? Uh-huh. So I did. And I um, one of the things Everybody gets I, to start somehow, yeah, you know, somebody yeah. say, Hey, come on in. And right. That's yeah. good. That's good. So one thing I remember is that in the original Cosmos series, the 13th final episode, Carl wanted it to be about colonization of space. Uh, and I think I convinced him, uh, that it shouldn't be about that. This was during the, the, uh, heating up of the cold war. And I thought it should be 1980, yeah, 79, late, late 1970s, uh, that it was uh, more important to be talking about the survival of civilization without which there would not be any human future in space. And so I proposed that and he, he agreed. And the final episode of thir- of uh, the 13 was ab- about the uh, threat of nuclear war and the survival of civilization. And the title of it was? Was Who Speaks for Earth, which I suggested. Who speaks for Earth? And and who ultimately ended up speaking for us, uh, Steve? Uh, just a little curious. I'm just... well, it's it's all of humanity. I got you. All right. And one of the th- great things Cosmos achieved then, and I think continues to achieve, is not thinking of the world in terms of countries, but thinking of the world in terms of humans as a species, yes. as shepherds of civilization. Yes. And it's the vision of what Carl called the pale blue dot, looking at the earth from a, a distance in space and realizing that this is our only home in space and we all share it and we have to preserve it. So so I think it's great. And to, as co-writer of the original series, uh, th- you must feel proud about that. I mean, that was a highly influential. I've, I felt gratified. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Having some influence on it. Uh-huh. Dude, you are way too humble. <laughs> I'm just I telling felt, you right I, now. I felt gratified. I felt gratified. I've been like, you're damn right I was proud. <laughs> <laughs> Look at what I did. It was awesome. So um, did you collaborate with Carl Sagan after, thereafter? Uh, not really scientifically. We were, we were good friends and spent a lot of time uh, uh, sharing ideas, but uh, only a couple of uh, brief scientific articles that we wrote together. Oh, scientific articles. Okay, yeah. cool. So scientific collaborators as well as yeah, but not not much on the science side actually. Okay, okay. I'm just wondering because I I mean we we've been friends a while, but there's yeah. some some places I'd never gone with you conversationally. I have a question now. Who's what? a better friend, Neil or Carl Sagan? <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> I love them both. <laughs> ah, there you go. <laughs> um, so your co-author is Andrian. Yes. It, uh, you were sole co-author with Andrian in the New Cosmos. You were one-thirdsies co-author with her or in whatever. There were three co-authors in the original. So uh, she her, she's not a scientist at, at all, but she feels the universe and she's clearly scientifically literate. So I, I, many will ask, and I even ask as well, how would you, how, what was the, the, the lab, the division of labor between the two? I of think you? she brings to it the heart, why it matters, why you should feel, uh, why this should touch you. And mm-hmm. I bring to it, I think the, 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 the science, mm-hmm. the, uh, and and, and, and by the way, just just to, just so I can get just the the three of us started out as co-writers, oh, right? Really? Just for like a couple of days, and it was clear I was there with them. It was clear they were a dyad. They were a writing dyad, and I was just like a third wheel on a perfectly functioning two wheel bicycle. <laughs> so uh, I pulled away, and they just took the ship sailed. 
Awesome. And so, uh, so I interrupted Steve. Go on. Yeah. So the, she she brings the heart. Yes. And mm-hmm. and and I think I bring the the, the critical uh, scientific view. And it was mm-hmm. this this sort of dynamic synergy between you might call it left brain right brain, uh, and that's that's what honed the material and and had both emotion and intellect in equal measure. Dynamic synergy. I, I like through. it. Oh man, yeah. man. And, and uh, so, so, what are the two in equal measure again? Emotion and intellect. Ooh, there you go. That's uh, I have one of those. <laughs> <laughs> I think that should be the center of every future, every uh, house of future learning. Absolutely, emotion, emotion and, intellect. and intellect. When we come back on Star Talk Radio, more of my interview in studio with Steve Soder, co-writer of Cosmos. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you, like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the US on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx ground is faster to more locations than UPS ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Whether you're a family vacation traveler, business tripper, or long weekend adventurer, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. And that's good, because there are a lot of me's. Choice Hotels has over 7,400 locations and 22 brands, including Comfort Hotels, Radisson Hotels, and Cambria Hotels. Get the best value for your money when you book with Choice Hotels. Cambria Hotels feature locally inspired hotel bars with specialty cocktails and downtown locations in the center of it all. Hey, that's me. Radisson Hotels have flexible workspaces to get the most of your business travel and on-site restaurants. That's me, too. And at Comfort Hotels, you'll enjoy free hot breakfast with fresh waffles, great pools for the entire family, and spacious rooms. Hey, that's me, too. I guess I'm just going to have to stay at all of them. Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. Book direct at choicehotels.com, where travel comes true. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. We're back on Star Talk Radio. Neil deGrasse Tyson here with Chuck Nice in studio, my co-host. Yes. And we've got here live my friend and colleague, Steve Soder, co-author of Cosmos, not only the original, 
but the current one. Impressive. And he's co-author with Andrian. Andrian also serves as executive producer, and I think she even gets a director credit for one or two of the episodes. We're going to get her on another Star Talk. Oh, that's, uh, oh, yeah, that's Stay great. tuned for that. That's great. I got Steve, my buddy, here right now. And so, Steve, you co-wrote the original Cosmos. Who first said billions and billions? We Inquiring minds want to know now. Johnny Carson. <laughs> <laughs> in, a, in a spoof on Carl. Oh, as he spoofed Carl. Yes. yes. I saw some of those. He, yeah. he wore the wig and yes. the- and turtleneck the tur- sweater. The turtleneck. Right. Yeah. Billions and billions. Billions. Okay, so Carl only just ever said billions. Carl said it doesn't make any sense to say billions and billions. It is very imprecise. That would make two billions, right? Billions and three billions. Right, so, okay, so- but what? So the issue here is Carl said it so many times. He said billions with a very billions. precise B. B. Billions. So he yes. said it so often yes. that to the listener, he it was just billions and billions. Billions and billions. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Just gobs and gobs. <laughs> that's that's the, the mathematically illiterate version right, of that. Exactly. Right? <laughs> um, did you, did I saw some comic? Forgive me for not remembering the 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 illustrator. He said Carl Sagan as a child. Look at all the stars. There must be. Hundreds of them. <laughs> so, uh, so Steve, a couple couple of things. The uh, what's different about the current Cosmos? Of course, it's on commercial TV and it has commercial breaks. Yes. What did you have to do? As you co-wrote the original, which appeared on PBS, no commercials. Right. This had commercials. Right. Was that frustrating? Was it fun? What What was it? Well, we had to write it in in blocks that could be separated for commercial breaks. So that, well, that can't be bad. That if wasn't it par- hard. If it parcels yeah. people's attention span. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, I say it can't be bad, but was it hard or easy? No, it wasn't hard at all. But uh, I think the, the impact of those commercials, though, is is uh, distracting, to say the least. Uh, mm. A lot of people are complaining about them. Says the man who doesn't own a television. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Look, man, commercials make the world go round, right? Yeah, you, you, you can't really not eat the cake that you have. Right, yeah, well, that's, yeah, you need the commercials, but, you know, that just gives you an opportunity to uh, put out a DVD. Oh, Uh, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. there you go. So, looking forward to that. Okay. So, what was the urge to put a historical vignette in every single episode? Well, these are great stories, and they're human stories, and they also show something of the process. What's your favorite among these stories? I think, well, I like a lot of them, but... uh, Pick your children, yeah. Fraunhofer. Fraunhofer. The the, the man who discovered the spectral lines. That was episode five, I think. Correct. Yes. Uh-huh. Correct. And when we began researching his story, we discovered that he was an orphan who was saved by a prince. So there's already sort of a fairy tale feeling to this oh, story. Yes. And then he goes on to to become head of, of an optical research department in, in, a, in a monastery in Germany, which turns out to be the place where the music of Carmina Burana was discovered. And then we use that in a wonderful scene with uh, an organ and making the, uh, explaining how sound waves work and how they're analogs for light waves. Uh, might I add, I, I played that organ. Did you really? In the show. Was that really you playing? Yes, the that was me. I, that I, was impressive. No, not the Carmina Burana part. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> Be, before that. Yeah, I, I right, had right. a little Bach minuet, which we I think we later learned was not Bach, but it's a little right. classical minuet. It's all I remember from my piano from lessons, lessons when I was 12 years old. And you got a chance to put that in the show? Yeah, I got a little bit of that in the show. Right. And so, but, uh, so, so you, you loved the, 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 the fairy tale aspect yes, of it. Yes, yes, and it was true. It has the benefit, added benefit of being true. Mm-hmm. Plus it's the birth of astrophysics, right? Yes, when the I marriage combined. of physics and astronomy. Is, and that, yeah. Yes. Yeah, okay, so. Like put, putting a, a prism in front of a, a, a telescope. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and so I'm interested, like like you just said, he was an orphan that was uh, basically uh, taken in by a prince. Yes. 
And that leads me to inquire, is, how important is money in science historically? Well, support, patronage is, is important. I mean, there's a lot of brilliant people out there, but they've never had the opportunity to express it because they didn't have support. They didn't have patronage. And it was just an accident that Frauenhofer got that. You know, you know, Chuck, we dodged a bullet back when Herschel discovered, he was the first to discover a planet ever, right. and he discovered planet Uranus. And, but his funder was, he was, was King George, right? King, the, the same George of the American uh, revolution, right. King George, the, the George the third. And so for a while he was calling that, he's called George's star. He was calling George's it. star. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> the, the, the planets then would have been Mercury, Venus, Earth, Mars, Jupiter, Saturn, and, and George. George. And George, right. right. So yeah. So folks, there was money funding this stuff, right? Right. <laughs> the colleagues did not go for it. Uh, plus the Medici's, I think, helped out Right, Galileo. the Medici stars is what Galileo named the moons of, of uh, Jupiter when he discovered Somebody's them. Somebody's naming it after the rich folks. After the yeah. rich people. Yeah, that L didn't last either. It didn't last, yeah. Okay. Okay, so so poor people made very few contributions <laughs> unless they were found, discovered by rich people. That's what you're saying. Often, yeah. So that, that so we don't know what discoveries lay unrevealed. Right. But, in the minds of poor people. But we know that they will, they will not come out of uh, a poor neighborhood. <laughs> Most likely. Unless someone discovers him. Like, there'll never be a star called Bodega. <laughs> Frauenhofer was, was discovered because the house that he was a servant in collapsed on him, and he, and he was rescued. The, the prince and future king of Bavaria was there and took an interest in him. But Anne wrote the, the brilliant line, uh, how many others do we leave in the rubble? There you go. Nice. When we come back, more on the making of Cosmos right here on Star Talk Radio. Talk Radio, Neil deGrasse Tyson here, your personal astrophysicist. Chuck Nice, <laughs> with me. Yes, sir. Always good to have you, Chuck. Always a pleasure to be here. Yeah, we're talking about the writing of Cosmos. Yes. The original and the current one that, that, I, that I happen to um, host. I host that. I can't believe I'm actually sitting here with the show Cosmos. That's great. <laughs> so we have in studio... My friend and colleague, Steve Soder, co-author of the original, co-author of the current one, and co-author with Andrian. We're going to get her on another, her on another Star Talk. Um, Steve, let me ask. In the original, the, the historical bits were they had actors doing them. Right. And so you had to write some script that might have worked in its day, perhaps. Uh, in the current one, that's all been swapped out with animation. So was that a different, that might've been different for you, well, I Well, when we wrote it, we didn't know whether it would be animation or not. In mm -hmm. fact, that was a decision that was made after the first drafts of all 13 episodes were completed. Mm -hmm. So we were writing, I think, with actors in mind. With actors in mind. And so, did you have any opinions about the animations? I think some of it works and, mm -hmm. uh, and, and so, some of it, uh, for me, doesn't, but so, that's just a personal. So, so you, you have mixed feelings about yes. it. Yeah, yes. I, I had mixed feelings initially, and then it just grew on me. And now I, I look forward to it every single time. Uh, I, I think part, part of my resistance was because I was accustomed to the, the actor with the British accent and the, right. and the glued yes. on mutton chops. And I was expecting that because that's all I was ever been given. And, but when you animate it, you can, you actually have a little bit more freedom Absolutely. in the, in the first episode with Bruno dreaming these floating in the universe, right. you're not going to get your mutton chop glued on actor to float in the universe, not, right. not, not on the budget uh, at least. So and I, thought, I have to say that, you know, having a, a, a 
young child that watches with mm-hmm. me, the animation really does capture them. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, and, and and to me it's great you, st- to you have. keep using your kids as the excuse that you like animation. Uh, yes. <laughs> that you like cartoons. Isn't that funny that it works out like that? <laughs> What's your excuse for Cartoon yeah. Network, Chuck? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, Steve. In yeah. the first episode at the at the end of the cosmic calendar, which is the history of the universe from the Big Bang to the present, the last fourteen seconds of that cosmic year represents all of human history. That was animated and that worked brilliantly, I thought. That's where animation really uh, soars. Because I because I narrate what went on in those last fourteen seconds from right. Uh, the period where you had Jesus and Buddha and Muhammad and the invention of science right. and and it's a rapid it's a rapid read and it, it had great intensity if I remember going through yeah, that's that. perfect for animation okay all right that, that's cool so but in the current cosmos there's an entire episode given unto evolution and of course evolution was treated in the original so a whole episode also a whole episode could you Compare and contrast the reactions that society has given to it because we live in America, land of the people who pick and choose their science. So for what they want to believe or not. So what what was the reactions from then and now? I don't remember any any uh, negative reactions from back then, mm-hmm. but there's more of it really? now. Yeah, I don't so remember. There, more may, now. there may have been, but definitely more now. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. Okay, so these would be a fundamentalist religious folk who are uncomfortable with what science says about the origins of humans. Yes. And so, okay, maybe it's because, maybe there was uh, uh, a blowback, but it was in regional newspapers that you didn't have access to and now you have access to everything? That could be. Could that be some of it? That could be, yeah. We're hearing it all now. Yeah, selection effect there. Yeah. And is there quite the uh, backlash from people who believe that evolution is whatever they believe it is? Because I'm not sure what you could believe it is other than what it is. But do you have those people being angry? Like literally, you know. Uh, Yes, there are people that are upset about it. Yeah. Well, okay. And so how do you feel about evolution, Steve? (laughs) What's your opinion about it? What's your opinion on it? Seriously. (laughs) Uh, I I just want to get an official record. Get them on the record. Yeah, yeah. Steve, do you have a monkey's uncle or what? (laughs) It's it's the basis of biology. Very little in biology makes any sense without this foundational theory. It's like the the atomic theory of matter or the germ theory of disease. I mean, it's absolutely fundamental to the the subject, and it's, it's overwhelming demonstrated by the evidence. Yeah, but how much of it was you just trying to stick it to the fundamentalists? Oh, not at all. We just wanted to make the case, this is the evidence. Mm-hmm. You don't have to accept it, but there it is. Okay, well, okay. That, that's fair enough. And, and so, therefore, thank you for your permission. I don't accept it. <laughs> That's Steve. That's, you just, that's fine, Steve. You just that's gave fine. him permission to not accept it. Now I got to right. deal with him. After you leave, right. I'm gonna have to deal no, no, with him. You don't have to accept it. It's just that also, if you don't accept it, we don't. That's not the version that should be taught in the public schools. <laughs> that's that's why it's a problem today. Teach it somewhere else. Yes. Is the point. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Because if they weren't trying to knock down the doors of the public school, there'd be no there'd be no issue here. No. Yeah, no, people yeah. can believe what they want. Yeah, in a free country, that's kind of what the point is, right? Yes, and that kind of is the problem, though. People can believe what they want. <laughs> no, no, the problem is not that they can believe what they want; is that they believe what they want and they're in charge. See, boom! I stand corrected. Right. right. <laughs> <laughs> when we come back, more of my interview with my friend and colleague Steve Soder, the co-writer of Cosmos.
At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. We're back to our talk radio. Neil deGrasse Tyson here. Chuck Nice there. That's correct. If we're all here, we must not be all there. (laughs) (laughs) Just in case you hadn't heard that one before. Uh, Steve Soder, uh, co-writer of Cosmos. Thanks for coming into Star Talk. Thanks for inviting me. For this. The original Cosmos was 34 years ago. And there's been some scientific advances since then. Uh, As co-writer, along with Andrian, what is your mix of new science you know you had to put in, new science that you're a little scared to put in because it might get old or might be shown to be wrong. And just how do you, how do you pick and choose? I think the original series, we didn't go to the cutting edge of science for the most part, because we knew that some of that would turn out to be wrong and that would date the series. In the present cosmos, that's the same policy. We we're for the most part, we don't, uh, Chuck, did you know Cosmos had a policy? I did not. (laughs) (laughs) Go on. Well, it's risky to go to the very cutting edge of science because some of those things are going to be shown to be wrong and that will give, that will date the series. So Mm -hmm. for the most part, we pull back from that until the, 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 the more, uh, well-established and important elements of science. Okay. So of the new things that you could still get to pull back on, what is new undreamt of in 1980? that you felt important enough to put in, in the mix of storytelling. Was Pluto alive in 1980, <laughs> yeah. Steve? The, 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 the non-planetary status of Pluto is touched on. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's not that important. Mm-hmm. Uh, the discovery of the acceleration of the expansion of the universe, that's that's a big one. And mm-hmm. that, that, that we did that, We got on. that in there, yeah. 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 And anything else just off the well, top we, of I your head? Well, I think the importance of dark matter also, that, that that's mm-hmm. become much more well-established and there's an, an ob- a stronger observational basis for it now mm-hmm. than there was 35 years ago. Uh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And the fact that there's a thousand planets Oh, discovered. yes, that's a big one. Yeah. Yes. And this was something that Carl- What do you mean, would, oh, yes, that's a big one? Well, how could you forget that? Carl would have been thrilled, of course, because he he, he intuited- he's just from one of those planets. Yes, well, he knew, <laughs> he knew that this was going to be the case, and now we have the observational proof. Planets are plentiful. They outnumber the stars. That's right. And that's, in fact, an exact line from the script. They outnumber I think the stars. So. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Making worlds is what mm-hmm. galaxies do. Another exact line. Wow, that sounds like something out of a rap video, <laughs> like a, like a, a cosmic rap song. Making worlds is what galaxies do. That would be cool. <laughs> <laughs> the cosmos rap. Yeah. And so I got to ask you, what was your favorite thing to write for it? Oh, that's a tough one. I mean, there, there's many, but there's maybe one line. What line? I, it's what hard line? to know how much of the line is described to one of the two writers because we collaborated on a lot of them, but it was something like... Uh, We'll need imagination to make this journey, but, but imagination, imagination alone is, is, not, is enough. not enough because the reality of nature far exceeds anything that we can imagine. Mm-hmm. Wow. So that's a, a paraphrase of J.B.S. Haldane. Yes. Back when the word queer meant odd. Uh, odd. Okay. okay. The universe is not only queer than we have imagined, it may be queerer than we can imagine. Yes. Yeah. Right on. Yeah. I like that. Okay. It's, it's good. So, and what was the toughest, just the angriest thing you had to write? Can you just, you had to just get through it and it was uncomfortable and you didn't like it, but you knew you had to do it. 
I don't remember anything like that, actually. I mean, it was all hard work, but... He, he's uh, been fully brainwashed. Yes, he has. <laughs> the Steve brainwashing has, program has yeah, worked. He drank the Kool-Aid. He's <laughs> just, no, there was nothing hard about it. No, no, it, no it was hard. No, it no, it was hard. hard. I mean, but but no, it, it nothing was unpleasant. It wasn't unpleasant. No. Yeah. No. All right. Well, that, well that's cool. So, um, Steve, I count you among the ranks at, of educators in the world, and th- you got to strike a balance between preaching maybe and educating and just having a conversation and on a on a with a mouthpiece such as cosmos on the platform that it arrived on coming out of out of me you put all this together and i don't want to preach to anybody i want to just bring people along on a conversation so what's going on in your head as you split this out i i I want to avoid preaching i want to just present the evidence because preaching is 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 really some sense is disrespectful of the audience see that's the problem with science right there okay you guys are too worried about presenting facts and 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 evidence and not Beating people over the head apparently like Bill it O'Reilly. Apparently it works. There are a whole lot of people doing a lot of preaching. And, and it goes over it very, goes well. very well. Yeah. But the strength of the evidence is so compelling. If you if you can... You want to let the evidence do the preaching. Yes. That's exactly. another line in your rap song like you're composing that. right now. Mm-hmm. Making worlds is what galaxies do. We present the evidence <laughs> just for you. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you got it. Yeah, I got you. I understand. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen the meme with the Incredible Hulk, except he's the Credible Hulk? And it says, you won't like me when I'm angry. I get angry if you do not back up your statements with evidence. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty funny. <laughs> the Credible Hulk. The Credible Hulk. <laughs> so, Steve, um, you got any projects coming up you're thinking about? Or I know we, we've talked a lot about climate change. You you're, you got yeah. the-, the well, I'm bi- teaching a course on climate change now, and I've been thinking of- At, uh, at New York University. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I don't believe in climate change, Steve. I'm just <laughs> See, you know Steve, you you gave him the option earlier. You gave me an option earlier. I'm opting out of climate change as well. <laughs> I got to okay. deal with him. Right. Yeah. You know why? I just bought Exxon stock. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, so Steve, keep up the good work out there. It's always great to Thank have you, you there. It's great to be here. And great to collaborate with you over all these years. And uh, we'll find some more stuff to work on and, and bring it to the public. You've been listening to Star Talk Radio. I thank uh, Chuck Nice for being with me here. It's my pleasure. And people can tweet, tweet at you. Where'd, where'd Chuck be at? Chuck be at at Chuck Nice Comics. <laughs> at Chuck Nice Comics, fine. Uh, I'm Neil deGrasse Tyson for Star Talk Radio, uh, bidding you, as always, to keep looking up. <laughs> <laughs>